0: Welcome to Filmstrip, movie reviews presented by Continuous Play Podcast. These podcasts are spoiler-filled as we discuss the plots, characters, and themes of the films in review. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title Seventeen. Welcome to Film Strip.
1: I'm Jay. I'm Ron.
0: And this is our review of Enter the Ninja, starring Frank Nero, voiced by Mark Smith, and Ninja Stand In by Mike Stone, Susan George, Sho Kasugi. Christopher George, Alex Courtney, Constantine Gregory, Zachy Noy, and Will Hare. Directed by Menahem Golan, released in 1981 on a budget of a million and a half dollars. Credited with starting the 80s Ninja craze movies. We teased this before, Ron, and now we're here to do it. Hashtag Ninja November is here for Filmstrip.
1: Yes, Ninja November, the greatest, <laughs> the most wonderful time of the year.
0: It's fantastic. Now, these are obviously Golden Globus pictures. We've done a lot of Golden Globus stuff here since you've joined the show. Background on these, like, when did you discover the Enter the Ninja and its two sequels?
1: I discovered Enter the Ninja like officially probably in the mid to late 90s. But uh, I remember seeing it as a child back in the early 80s. Um, Just because I remember ninjas in like primary color outfits and there being like a different each each ninja with a different color, which I I was getting confused with a couple of different ninja movies. But I do remember lots of white ninjas with mustaches.
0: See, and like my only point of reference growing up for ninjas at all was from G.I. Joe you know snake eyes and and storm shadow or whatever the 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 white ninja for cobra is i can't remember his name now but like those were that was what i knew a ninja was i didn't i never even thought of chuck norris as a ninja i don't remember ninja movies i think i just missed this somewhere along the way so i i think i had seen clips of this movie because it's got some scenes that are dandies in it that have you know, made the meme rounds through the years. But I had never seen this movie, never knew it existed or anything until you brought it up, but it's a, it's its own fad, right? And this was, you know, the beginning of Canon films trying to do semi legit properties to make money. Right?
1: Yeah. This is the, um, this is when they finally realized how much money you could make in the home video market. And they decided to, uh, leap onto it with both hands and now this is our second you know, Golan Globus
0: Ninja retrospective. We did the American Ninja series a few years ago with Michael Dudikoff. But this one started out as a vehicle for Chuck Norris, but he bowed out because he didn't want his face covered so
1: much. Yes. Chuck Norris was supposed to be the ninja. Chuck Norris refused to wear the mask. And I also don't think Chuck Norris wanted to – Chuck Norris also didn't want to be directed by uh, Menahem Golan. Oh, uh, really- so this movie was in production And then a Chuck Norris movie Was also in production And they The director who was assigned to this Went to the Chuck Norris movie And then Menahem Golan came to this movie So basically they swapped directors Like After they started shooting both movies Excuse me, it was not Chuck Norris It was Charles Bronson you know Chuck Norris refused to wear a mask, and Charles Bronson refused to be directed by Menahem Golan, because he was Golan was supposed to be directing Death Wish Two. Speaking of future series, <laughs>
0: yeah, to to be uh, done later on down the line. So this is that's when they go with Frank Nero, the original Django. Um, but they don't use his voice, right? I knew that guy as – I used to think he was one of the most interesting men in the world, but he's actually not that guy. But he was the uh, you know evil dictator colonel in Die Hard 2 that uh, naked William Sadler was trying to break out of uh, – uh, custody or whatever and ends up flying the plane at the end that john, john mcclain lights on fire so that's i knew frank nero from or franco nero from that and then had seen Django years later and was like oh yeah yeah i recognize that face on that guy um and i was kind of surprised when he took the mask off in the opening scenes i was like oh wow that's that guy
1: and you can tell that he has absolutely no knowledge of martial arts
0: at all like he is the close-up shots with the eyes and then I think everything else is Mike Stone who was supposed to like wanted the role but like couldn't act. So they said, "Well, you can be the ninja and stand in and Franco can act, but we don't like his voice, so we'll dub it with you know random American generic voice."
1: Yeah, um Franco Nero was they found him at a film festival in Manila and so they were like, "Hey, do you want to be in this movie?" and he said, "Yes."
0: What a great tryout procedure we had there, Golan Globus. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, is there is there a film festival nearby? Okay, is there a, a C-list spaghetti western actor? Yes.
0: Is there someone just walking around that looks somewhat menacing and intense? Because he does look intense. Like his face is very – they have those you know, bright blue eyes like he does, he can look very – I don't know, intense for a piece of toast. I mean, that's kind of what he is, but I guess it's, I'm going to guess though, that a lot of our audience maybe is aware of this movie, but probably hasn't seen it. And so why don't you give us a plot summary, give us the details, tell us what goes on and enter the ninja.
1: Sure thing. And yes, I did deliberately hide this from Jay. So that hopefully, hopefully (laughs) we will get him cracking up here early and often. Cole, a white guy with a mustache, has passed the final test. He's now officially a ninja, entitled to all the secrets of ninjutsu. Carefully, uh, helpfully written down on a scroll. One of his classmates, Hasegawa, isn't a big fan of letting white folks become ninjas, and if you don't think this will come back into play later, then I hope you enjoy your first ever movie. Cole heads to the Philippines to visit his old war buddy Frank and his new wife Marianne. As it turns out, Cole is walking right into a war zone as the nefarious Venarius is trying to drive Frank and Marianne off their land to get access to the rich oil deposits underneath. Cole beats up on various tired thugs until finally Venarius decides the only way to fight a ninja is to buy your own ninja. Enter the returning Hasegawa, ready and willing to do the dirty work. Hasegawa kills the impotent drunk Frank, kidnaps Marianne, lures Cole to Venarius' martial arts arena for a final showdown.
0: Because of course he just has one.
1: <laughs> I thought it was a cockfighting ring, but apparently it's a martial uh, yeah, arts arena.
0: It, yeah, no. It, well, it looks like a bull fight. It looks like a, an ag, you know, arena. There's lots of uses for that.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, it's a multi-purpose murder facility. <laughs> Cole kills henchman with the aid of crazy vet dollars. Takes out Venerius, then has a final battle with Hasegawa. Cole defeats the black ninja, gives Hasagawa an honorable beheading, saves the girl, and then heads off to his next adventure with a wink.
0: To to never be continued, because he doesn't come back. He does not. (laughs) uh, Because I did read ahead on what uh, comes next time around. Well, that is an excellent plot summary, and it it's much deeper than the actual film that we see all those racial undertones and everything it's all subtext because if you know anything about golden globus movies they just put stuff on the screen and you just figure it out like there's there's so little dialogue in this film it is amazing to me like there's 10 minutes in the opening where every piece of dialogue is oh, he-
1: and if you watched it on Amazon, as I did, it is yeah, it too. is helpfully subtitled because I watch everything with subtitles. It's it's <laughs> it's subtitled karate yells,
0: <laughs> ninja voice, ninja voice stronger.
1: <laughs> There's also uh, thwack. It's another one.
0: Yeah, you know the thing I didn't I didn't get until a, after uh, you know the the uh, fight is over, or whatever. I thought. Like the fact that the he beheads a mannequin and it's the master's you know head and he kind of brings it into the trophy room like yeah, good chop, you know, or whatever for him. I didn't realize that the rest of the ninjas were like lived. I thought he actually killed all of them. But there is that one that takes off like that bamboo guard, I guess. So that's how – but some of them are actually cut up. I thought he hit one in the head with a throwing star.
1: I think he did hit one in the th- in the head with a throwing star. I think the Yeah, but he lived. So. Well, I mean, let's be honest, could a throwing star actually kill somebody outside of the movie universe?
0: Well, no, but hey, uh well, I don't know, South Park taught us a lot of things about those a few years back, but hey, uh that's going to become a thing later because he is going to kill someone with one. I mean, in a pretty deliberate fashion, so I I don't know. I was surprised by that though. Like I thought, you know, part of the ninja training would be you would actually have to kill all these freaking people. And I was sitting there thinking to myself, I was like, man, that's gonna be sucked to be the red ninjas. That's like red shirts in Star Trek. I mean, it's like, oh god, you know, you're gonna get killed. Well, maybe, maybe not many people make it past this. I, don't I
1: know. mean, it, it would be a waste of good ninja, or at least mediocre ninja, if you just kill them all. <laughs> right.
0: True. But like that's the other thing too. Cole, our, our lead here, Franco Nero, Cole, which is what a generic white name we could get. Cole. Cole is training in Japan in ninjutsu uh, because he is a war veteran, but he's – He's American, but he fought in a South African bush conflict. Was he like a mercenary or something?
1: I think that's what we're supposed to believe. The first, yeah, it's never a Like the first ten okay. times I saw this movie, I, I just assumed that they were fighting in Vietnam.
0: Oh, holy! Cow. Okay, so you just revealed something. You've seen this movie ten times. Don't you ever rag on me for watching after last season that many times again?
1: <laughs> uh, I mean, I probably haven't seen it ten times, but I've I have seen it at least five times.
0: I mean, well, no, you know that's that's true, and I will go ahead and say this is much better than after last season, but if, if not nearly as esoteric, but <laughs> it is it is uh, definitely a, a, a better quality film. So, Minaham Golan, congratulations, you you did that in your life. Uh, the The war flashback scene, and I know that comes later, and I'm skipping ahead, but that was hilarious to me because it reminded me of like what my brother and my friends in the neighborhood used to do when we would play war in the woods behind the neighborhood. I mean, it's exactly how it felt.
1: I mean, yeah, that's definitely – and it's about as uh, well-set dressed.
0: Yeah. Actually, I think we probably had more realistic-looking fake weapons (laughs) at the time. But, uh, yeah, so he's a a war man, and he's gone to learn how to be a ninja – I mean, are they like for hire or something? Does he just want to do it? Is the, I mean, because you never see him do like inner monologues of peace or anything. So I, I didn't understand why he wanted to become a I
1: The feeling I got was that he's just traveling around looking for stuff to do that's related to war. Uh, as That's yeah. what we get that other, that line later. Uh, it, well, Actually, in that very same scene we were just making fun of where uh, Frank asks him what he's going to do. And he says, I don't know, find another war.
0: Yeah, that I mean, he does show up when he shows up in the Philippines at uh, his buddy Frank's house. We meet Susan George of Venom fame. Yay. You know, I didn't realize she was in this. So she comes out and in what will be. I, I don't know if it was like direction, like the way George Lucas did Carrie Fisher in Star Wars or an actress choice. But she does not believe in the top part of women's underwear, <laughs> but wears very loose fitting shirts throughout this sweaty film. And I can only think they probably told her to do that. So so I feel bad for her in some way. But she comes out wielding a shotgun and of course he gets to take her down, but this is where you realize that Franco Nero knows nothing about martial arts because all he can really do is grope her and grab her. Like the, the ninja guy that stands in for him stone, much better, you know, with the ninja moves than Franco
1: is. Yeah, and it's definitely just like a blatant grope.
0: Oh yeah, I mean, like you see her get away. Like, hey, that wasn't part of the scene. And of course, Millenham Golan, being who he was, just left it in.
1: Oh yeah, he so, he leaves, he leaves just about everything in, no matter how many dead Filipino extras you can see breathing and blinking.
0: Oh yes, there's there's many. We'll get to those. So, but the 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 coal, the white in so many ways. Ninja I wrote down completes that violent training. But I love that like Hasegawa's reason like the, the teacher says, ah, it's modern Japan. He just doesn't get it. I'm like, he doesn't like modern Japan in the 80s. That's when Japan like exploded economically. Was he what do you want to go back to the feudal system? What was Hasegawa? He
1: name? does because they say something like he comes from a family that was a long line of warriors and in a previous generation he would have been a great warrior. Now I, I just assume he's a salary man working for uh, Mitsubishi or Sony, or yeah, he's probably
0: working his ass off seventy hours a week, and then he plays Ninja on the weekend. He's like, "Ah, I hate this off. I be even gonna count it."
1: <laughs> I, I mean, that was my assumption as to what Hasegawa did.
0: <laughs> I, but yeah, I mean, because the the master like plays it off, kind of like. I don't know who this guy is, but he he has saw like, this Mr. Miyagi thing to him. And this is years before Karate Kid, but he's just so, like, very ninja. But he's also, like, kind of modern. Like, he want to get a cup of coffee down at Starbucks? Or, you know, whatever. Like, he's very normal. It's it's striking and, and funny. But now, I want to say this. Shoukasugi steals this movie for me, Ron. If you can't already tell, I, I liked this a lot. And I love this guy. If only for his, like, pained facial expressions. He looked like Ken Leong sometimes. He did. From the, uh, you know, all the those bad comedy movies he's been in stuff but I loved this guy because I could tell that was really him like he could do all this stuff.
1: yeah he's a, a legitimate skilled martial artist um, the, the sensei is a longtime character actor Dale Ishimoto who was actually probably the only American in the cast that was that wasn't <laughs> Christopher George because he was born in Colorado that's amazing and he fought in World War II with the, the, the Nisei Brigade and then he went and basically forged a career as a Japanese guy who you want to speak English.
0: That's what, well, Hey, good work. If you can get it. So I mean, I knew I'd seen him somewhere. The, the other people too, that pop up through, I like Alex Courtney. I don't know where I've seen him, but I've seen him playing a drunk Lothario somewhere else. I know I have because he just looks too real in it. Will Hare, who plays dollars, Many people will know as Old Man Peabody from Back to the Future. That's who that is. But I recognized him immediately. Well, my first thought actually was like, is that Crazy Ralph from uh, uh, (laughs) Friday the 13th? I was like, no, no, no. And then said, wait a minute. It's the Crazy Grandpa from the beginning of Silent Night, Deadly Night. And by George, it is. So that's what I know him
1: from. Nice.
0: (laughs) He's kind of like a smaller Sterling Hayden ripoff. You know, older Sterling Hayden.
1: I I could see that.
0: It's got that face. I mean, it's it's sort of that the constant Jen Rose nose and uh everything, but I you know what? I found him to be kind of funny in this cuz he has information and things or whatever, but uh all of this is is set up because Frank is kind of a lazy drunk. He's lost his edge, but his wife Marianne is all about this coconut and banana farm thing they got going on, right? Yeah. And <laughs> what i what i realized is like you know throughout the 80s there there was like a trope in low budget action films of people just trying to to do their best to be the small you know get get work off the land and be be their own people and some corporate goon trying to buy them up you know and and all the the workers that are getting you know shuttled for that so i was like oh th-, you know i didn't realize this sort of invented that too i mean this that was that would have been new in 1981
1: yeah and instead of uh having to you know put on a show to save the the community center they uh sent a white ninja to kill 300 people <laughs>
0: people the, the white the, the show to save the the community center is a breaking reference i think is what you're saying <laughs> which what a year or two later
1: yeah so. like two or three years later um, Speaking well, of we'll Goland Golan and Globus in
0: part three, but uh, yeah, and and you just hold on to that break in retrospective, sir, because that's <sighs> of, so. Because um, I got thoughts about Boogaloo Shrimp um, for days, but but we have to throw Beat Street in there too, the competition to, to get by. But anyway, I digress. But that moving on back on Carnosaur, I mean, uh, <laughs> enter the Ninja. So uh, I love that Venerius the extremely corporate greedy white guy who's like wearing you know business casual japanese outfits and doing water scenes with polo women and you know synchronized dancing and he has like all these henchmen that wear white suits and you can't talk to him directly you talk through a henchman to get to him i love this guy because he is like the it was like if gordon gecko was a murderous thug
1: that's a great yeah that's a great uh Way to put it. I was just th- I was just sitting here thinking. It's like um, if uh, Busby Berkeley was an eighties yuppie murderer.
0: <laughs> yes, yeah, there you go. Or if the Duke brothers from Trading Places also like had a team of ninjas to kill people.
1: And I mean, like we don't that. know. They don't.
0: We, well, yeah, you know what? I, we didn't know Harvey Weinstein had a team and, and just working behind the scenes for him until recently either. So who knows? <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's true. So, I mean, but, but I love this guy, though, because he is so evil. And I had to look it up because I was like, is he, like, related to Susan George? They just have a similar last name. Nope, he's just a... You know, a character actor. Um, but I love this guy because he's all, like, very proper. Like, Mr. Parker, I just want my land. Can we not have this, please? You know, he's but he's also, like, that ultimate boss. He reminded me of, like, a couple of deans I've known at colleges that
1: I've worked at. <laughs> dean, dean, uh, dean Wormer?
0: <laughs> well, he's a little bit more than that. But, yeah, yeah, exactly. He, in another life, he could have been a good one, probably.
1: So. No, that's that's definitely a, a pretty great comparison. Yeah, it's um, it, it's it's a very interesting take on a villain because he's very much a I don't want to get my hands dirty, and yet he employs all these shakedown artists and and the guy with the hook to to rough these locals up.
0: Let's talk about Siegfried Schultz, the Hook Man, Zaki Noy. What a weird performance from a very weird looking person. He's this little, he kind of looks like, uh, oh, what's, uh, he kind of looks like Richard Attenborough. Oh, <laughs> <You know>? yes. <laughs> yep. Like, think about it. Like, he really does look like him. And he's sort of, uh, he's kind of egoring around with the movie. And he's got this hook. So he's like a you know a faux Bond villain, too. Like, I felt like, oh, this is just like a Bond henchman they're ripping off. You
1: know? Yeah, he definitely. But he's
0: not even a good one. He's like a comedic one. So, like, the real one is uh, Mr. Parker.
1: Yeah, Mr. Parker is the serious henchman. This is the uh, comic relief henchman. He's the uh, Jaws from Moonraker.
0: Exactly, yes. He is the Jaws from Moonraker.
1: And uh, not the Jaws from... He shakes down some. The other ones.
0: Yeah. So, uh, boy, I don't remember the other one he was in. But, yeah, uh, he is, he's very much the Jaws from Moonraker. He shows up in that credit sequence at the end because uh, Cole's telling, you know, Dollars, ah, just don't kill people. They only kill people for defense or some nonsense. And then he sees... Uh, you know, Hookman coming out there to be his porter because he's been demoted now at this point. And he starts running away. He said, "But there's always exceptions." Ha ha. ha. <laughs> you know, and and winks. Well, well, his lips don't move, and that those lines come from his character. And he just winks at the uh, the. Camera. But yeah, no, I love this dude though. I love that he was a shakedown artist and that um dollars has this whole thing like, Yeah, he was kind of a jerk until he lost his hand, and then he became a real one. Yeah. <laughs> but we don't know how he loses the hand, but at some point Cole rips that friggin' hook out of his hand in like some of the worst spaghetti you can have hanging off for special
1: effects. Was that supposed to be like bloody flesh? I I thought that
0: was supposed to be like tendrils that were just hanging loose and he sort of shoves it back on there. I yeah. Okay. I
1: wasn't sure what that was supposed to be.
0: Well, it's also not like even correct prosthetically because even if they hook it into you or whatever, it's not hooked to like all your ligaments and stuff like that. Not not that kind of hook. That's just a a stump holder. So at worst, it would be like a hole in the end of his stump. So I, I thought it was hilarious, though, because you just knew like they'd set that up with the – and it's so badly done the way the guy's holding the prop but they'd set it up where, like, oh, Cole's going to rip that off and like stab him with it. And the first time he really gets him, he like hooks his arm up above the bar and makes him kind of stand in an awkward position and leaves him there.
1: Yeah, he, he embeds and, him into a uh, roof support beam.
0: Yeah, exactly. And then the next time is in the parking lot where he has to take down a bunch of local thugs, and then he rips the guy's arm off basically and throws his hook at him, like
1: you forgot this, <laughs> <laughs> which is which is I assume another great ADR line.
0: <laughs> oh, I, I can only imagine like the directing I mean, on and I've seen the only behind the scenes stuff I know about this is from the excellent documentary Electric Boogaloo about the you know canon films Golden Globus run and these ninja films play about they got like a 10 minute scene in it where they talk about all of them and they talk about like the directing would have been something like yes more blood go 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 very good very good cut you know <laughs> that, that would be it
1: that that seems about right. <laughs> that seems to yeah. fit with my understanding of the Golan Globus mindset, which was more blood. Let's do one take. You know, and move on.
0: Yeah. I'll say this, though. I don't know if it's because somebody else is doing it for him or it's just happy accidents or whatever, but Minham Golan actually does a pretty good job of shooting the action scenes. Like, they they look pretty good. They don't look as over the top as I would have expected them to. And I think – what I'm waiting on is coming in like a future sequel or something because I think I know of some goofy stuff to come around but for most of everything that happens here like I could I could believably see a human being doing this because I live in the 21st century I've seen people do parkour and that just Freaks my mind out, you know, to see Jedi people walk along the wall like that. I've seen Bo Jackson climb an outfield wall and gun somebody down, you know, from from 900 yards away with a baseball. I mean, I've seen physical feats of strength and everything that happens here looks like something someone could do if they were the greatest ninjas of all time.
1: And and Mike Stone really is a a phenomenal martial artist. Uh, Like he won something like ninety two. Uh, karate fights in a row. Um Amazing. yeah, he's won all kinds of like karate championships and stuff, and of course Shokusuge is just spectacular.
0: Well I mean it is it is a shame in some ways that he's not allowed to play the rest of the role. It's why I really wish we would have had Chuck Norris in this. I uh, Charles Bronson seems very weird. That would have worked at all. But Norris going up against Kasugi would have been even more fun. Uh, I think and even with all the the fight scenes that they do but for what they get out of it Mike Stone does a tremendous job as the ninja in in place uh when they're taking down you know gangs of thugs and and all that
1: and I feel like we should actually um for Ninja Vimper if we have the time I think we should roll um the 2009 Ninja Assassin in Oh I don't know that That's uh the one it was a uh, uh like a Korean pop star is the lead and this guy named rain. But, uh, oh, the bad guy is Shokasuge making his uh, big comeback. Cause he retired from acting in like oh. the mid nineties. And then he showed up in Ninja assassin as the, the head bad guy just coming out of nowhere. And he's great.
0: Oh, we might have to try to squeeze that in then. If we can, that would be, that would be fantastic. So I, I've got to say though, I, as As goofy as this movie is, and I mean it is absolutely nuts what what's going on I'm never bored with it, like even the the slower dramatic parts where you've got Marianne who doesn't seem to like Cole, and then she kind of comes around to him and then you know Frank confides in him that hey man, I can't really you know make it work uh, in the love department anymore and all this kind of stuff, like Susan George and frank o'Nero's stage what may be the most perfunctory and awkward love scene, not love scene of all time. She wears like this thin (coughs) negligee walks into his cabana or whatever. He's laying there in bed, reading the paper. He looks at her. She kind of crawls onto the side of the bed, but she's sort of halfway in, halfway out of the bed. He looks back down at the paper, turns his head, turns the light off. And there it is.
1: Uh, Well, I guess
0: (laughs) you think Susan George is like, look, I will run around virtually topless for this entire movie, but I'm not making out with this guy. (laughs) So
1: I I think that had to be part of it, that it's just, It's I I I think they were like, "Hey, Susan, would you take your top off?" And she was like, "Yeah, for ten thousand dollars." And they were like, "Never mind."
0: Yeah, here's a grand. Just don't wear anything under the shirt. Deal. So, Here,
1: <laughs> here's a hundred. Here's a hundred American dollars and some tape. <laughs> Go to town.
0: <laughs> oh, I don't think there was much tape going, man, from what I can tell. But no, what really is is weird though. is you have that whole? There's like this ten minutes of drama now where. Frank is going like you think he knows like yeah my wife just hooked up with you because obviously I'm you're, you're virile and I'm not and all that like he he gets around it the next day at dinner but then they get interrupted because it's time for more goons to bother him
1: yeah I think that's uh that was their cursory attempt to uh, have <laughs> have a have a B plot <laughs> yeah
0: you know, well here's the thing like the whole plot is I want um this land because it's got a lot of oil on it. And these idiots don't know that there's oil on it. They're so like new to this. Like these are not professional farmers who then just decided to do this in the Philippines. They just decided they wanted to do this. Okay. (laughs) Why don't you just tell them, hey, there's some good minerals on your land. I'll offer you a little bit of dough for it and buy it from them. You've gone through so much expense and elaborate stuff. to. He's actually trying to purchase it anyway. (laughs) Why make it hard and try to kill them off of it? Veneres' plan is is flawed.
1: I mean, you know, all he had to do was say, look, we're going to – I'd like to buy the mineral rights for your land. We'll do a 75-25 split. You'll get 25 plus. Here's a check for $500,000. Uh, uh, and, you know, the end. And I think they would have exactly. easily and, and, gone for it. And
0: wor- exactly. And, wor- and worst case is, you turn around you know, a few years later like Ray Krog did with McDonald's and just sue him and buy it all out. So, you know, what's the difference? So, I, yeah, it seems to
1: although, be uh, – Although it yeah. really probably can't cost that much to hire a bunch of goons in the Philippines.
0: You know, it it looked like there was no, like, paying going on. It was more – can you survive the hook man hitting you in the balls and then, you know, and beat the hell out of each other? The Dune tryout is a great dance choreography scene. If like you turn the sound off and put on like some EDM music, <laughs> let the bass drop. It's pretty amazing. I actually did that just to see how it work. It works pretty good.
1: Yeah, that's the. Uh, just cue up the breakdown for any hardcore song.
0: <laughs> I well, yeah, I recommend some good skrillex for that. So and and it works out pretty good for
1: you. That's so, pretty funny.
0: Uh in fact if, if one of our listeners wants to put that to YouTube, I would I will like the heck out of it. So <laughs> that would be awesome. So Cole keeps dispatching goons, Marianne seduces him, like we said. And then we we finally realized that Okay, Hookman is useless. Let's get him off the payroll. Mr. Parker, will you please take care of this for me? So Mr. Parker goes to Japan, and is he like in a talent agent's office looking for a ninja? He, and the guy keeps trying to feed him
1: He after. is in a talent agent's office looking for a ninja.
0: <laughs> I mean, I guess I wouldn't know in 1980 where to go and get one either. The Yellow Pages?
1: <laughs> well, clearly the agent must represent some ninjas because he finds one. <laughs>
0: Well, I mean he's like walking around going like ninja? And they're like, Oh yeah. But you know, it reminded me of a scene that's in the the Doctor Strange movie that came out years a couple of years ago where Benedict Cumberbatch is walking around going like secret hideout of magic people? Yeah, it's over there. Okay. <laughs> so it's 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 just as convenient. So um I, I did find that hilarious, though. And they're like, oh, I have the, just the man for you. And I'm like, I know who this is going to be. Raise your hand if you don't know who this is going to be. And then Hasagawa's going to. I needed a scene, though, where the master and Hasagawa like argue about this. He's like, no, don't go do this. I know you hate Cole, but you don't have to go and try and kill him. I must for honor. Like, I, I wanted but that scene that's
1: cut somewhere. Well, the thing is, they don't, they lie to the master. They don't tell it. They tell him that they need the ninja for self-defense because goons are attacking them.
0: That is correct. That is correct. So you do get some of Shokasugi's best, um, like, ninja martial arts skills going on in this scene because he, like, shows off all the stuff he knows how to use and he dances around and stuff. Uh, And I mean, that's
1: that's him in the opening credits, too, which.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh yes, we didn't talk about the opening credits, where it's basically just like faux Japanese font on one side, black background, and a black ninja playing with ninja gear.
1: Yeah, and that's it's, it. uh, yeah, that's so. that show doing his thing. Uh, too.
0: do you think like he was like this is such
1: bullshit, <laughs> you know? In his head, was like, but the seven dollars is worth it. <laughs> so. I, I don't know. That's a great question. He he'd been trying he'd like, been trying to be like. In Hollywood movies for a long time. Like, he was an extra in The Godfather Part Two, In, like, 1974, yeah. And he was in, a like, a Bruce Lee knockoff. Uh, he was in Bad News Bears Go to Japan. I think he was just like, <laughs> you want me to do what now? Yeah, sure. And, I mean, the, the dude knows, like, seven or eight different forms of martial arts, so... Oh
0: look and again when this the craze of this is starting or it's starting to get to be the thing that everybody wants I could see why he could build a career out of it sure uh, I'm did he ever start alongside Chuck in anything that would have been fun if he
1: had uh it doesn't look like he did
0: oh see that would have been great but they, they just never crossed the path
1: I think they were trying to have two simultaneous action franchises at once that they didn't want to yep. they didn't want to cross the streams.
0: Go, Go, Golden Globus had too many things in production at once? You don't say. I've seen Life Force in uh, Superman 4. I understand that. So.
1: Uh, I mean, he but he, he did fight. Uh, he was in Blind Fury, so he did at least fight Rutger Hauer.
0: Okay, so you know what? That gives you points in my book. As, as you didn't already steal this movie for me show, now Now I really love you. Uh, but I, I like how he comes in and he attacks the uh, Frank and Marianne compound, right? And like he – what does he do? He's like pin her up on a tree or something and then gets Frank out
1: there and stabs him? Yeah, he's got her tied to a tree and then um, he lures Frank outside and basically cuts Frank into small twitching pieces. Yes. Like he, he And, and he, I, that's know. the thing, though. Frank is supposed to not be uh, – Frank is supposed to also be kind of a formidable fighter, too. He is a veteran of the Bush War, um, and he apparently does have a backstory of where he is like a good fighter because he tells Cole uh, – at that awkward post-sex breakfast, he's talking with Cole about the great times they used to have. And Susan George yells at him for rehashing the past.
0: But well, see, I think that's it though, is that this is a guy who has lost the edge and is just like reliving the glory days. You know, but he can't muster it anymore. And even when he tries to, he's not, you know, able to do it, and he ends up whimpering and, and going out and getting his throat cut by the evil ninja.
1: Oh, um you, you know how you mentioned you wanted to see Shokusuge fight uh Chuck Norris? Mm-hmm. Well, he does fight Jean Claude Van Damme. Is that does that do anything for you? <laughs> That that
0: that does. What When does that happen? What, what cinematic masterpiece is
1: it's that? It's Black Eagle. It is a Shokazuge oh. starring vehicle, and Jean-Claude Van Damme plays a Russian Heavy.
0: <laughs> well, put that on the list. <laughs> I'm just going to tell you right now, that's going to have to get done. So, uh, yeah. But back to enter the ninja here, because now it's time for the ninja to enter, okay? Because now they've really pissed him off. And you I know, They've killed his they've killed his pet cockfighting friend. they they we didn't talk about Frank's into cockfighting, but he is.
1: He, uh, he's super into cockfighting. He,
0: yeah, like he's like like if like you know NFL fans like wear jerseys and tailgate hours before the game and stuff like that. That's this guy with cockfighting.
1: Uh, I don't even know if it's that. He he shows up and starts yelling at his workers, Hey, let's have a cockfight. I guess if your boss came in one day and was yelling at you to, to, to have a cockfight, I guess you would have to do it. I guess so. Because you know, the, the, the villagers, and, and Frank's land has apparently a village on it where people have been living for generations before they right. bought it. And... And Frank just shows up, and, and they're, like, working and doing things, and Frank just starts grabbing peewee, and he's yelling at people, and he starts chanting for a cockfight. So his workers have to drop their tools and the things that they're doing for their jobs and come rushing over Frank. to have a cockfight for the white man.
0: Frank Frank is not good for productivity. Mary Ann's right. He is not helping <laughs> the situation at all. So So anyway – Venerys and, and uh, Hasegawa have her hostage. They take him back to, as we mentioned, his martial arts compound or ag arena, whatever you want to call it, whatever they rented out that week in Southern California.
1: No, this uh, is all shot in the Philippines. So this is... is all shot in the Philippines? Oh, so it's done on the real cheap. Money. Yeah. This, so this is definitely <laughs> like a legit cockfighting arena. <laughs>
0: yeah, that probably, probably just happened one day and they were like, we got to get a camera on that the next time it goes down. So. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, and, and they probably did. So, but anyway, well, I mean, like, there's that whole building too, where coal and dollars go in to like steal some plans or something. They they go to figure out that geological survey is what they they find in there. But that was a scene out of like Ocean's Eleven or something. But that was like a building you feel like they like snuck into and took a couple shots and they got out of real quick. Yeah. So people were like, "Who are these people with the
1: cameras?" <laughs> so and it's and, anyway. and they keep playing the absolutely the most inappropriate music imaginable. Oh yes, the score. Here they is horrible, keep they so. keep doing this. Like Cole shows up and he r- r- kills two guys, and then they play this whimsical duh, 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 type stinger that it's, does it's, not fit it's the, murder.
0: It's just like Halloween Five, where the cops walk around and it's like beep boop beep boop do circus music. You know, it's that that kind of crap going on. It's the same bad use of music. Yes, it's it's terribly bad. But it's all done for comedy. Like that's the funny part. It's like Cole has murdered at this point probably twenty five people with his bare hands. Like he hadn't even picked up a weapon. Yeah,
1: he's just and, ripping necks. He's just breaking necks and and shattering arms. And
0: at one point, I thought he was going to do the Patrick Swayze Roadhouse throat rip, but he he didn't do it. He just chopped the guy.
1: Yeah, it was so just a, that, that would have been awesome. Yeah, it was just a chop to crush his larynx. He didn't rip the throat out.
0: Yeah. Well, no. No. Speaking of Halloween, Halloween H2O and Resurrection taught me you can crush all your and live. <laughs> but, but anyway, so uh, that's if you. Were to I, agree
1: with that. I I greatly enjoyed uh, Mr. Parker, and I greatly enjoyed Venerius in the scene leading up to the Hasegawa assault on the the Frank's compound. Oh yes, they're wonderful, and, and I, I I greatly I, enjoyed his uh, his hissy fit about how he wants <laughs> his black ninja. Yeah. That, that was great leave I
0: want my black ninja <laughs> No they're They are fantastic But what's even better About that is The Cole is Is going around And he's basically Just killing off All of uh, Venerys' goons now And it comes down To where you've got Mr. Parker's Holding Marianne At gunpoint And Through some Good Batman uh, Fireworks Cole sneaks up Behind him Gets a knife on him Marianne gets away, who, by the way, props to Susan George, wearing high heels, arms tied behind her back. She goes down those stairs like a champ. Like, she really got that done. You can tell that, like, I'm doing that once, and that's it. But, like, she was really tied up. I'm like, this poor woman has been abused on this
1: set. But she, uh, yeah, but you're right. It is very impressive.
0: Yeah, I, mean, I was like, well,
1: that that may be the best start of the whole. Yeah, process. I'm not even sure uh, Shokasuge could do that one.
0: I know. I mean, you maybe like he was off to the side, going like, oh, "Good job, season. <laughs> good work." So, but you've got Parker holding her by, by Anyway, uh, Cole's got the knife on him, and I love how Veneris is like, "Well, who said I wanted Mister Parker to live?" And he just shoots him, and the guy's like, "But sir," <laughs> and it's like, "Oh, oh, you've killed your goon now. Oh, this is why you must die." But now we get back to the age question: Can a throwing star kill somebody? Apparently so, because Cole buries one in his chest, and I love the look on his face. Is like He just sort of shrugs like, what do you do? I,
1: I, I mean, you ask ninja questions, you get ninja answers.
0: Exactly. But that also let me know, and it's the one thing I will give like super credit to this film on. When Cole goes into ninja mode, it doesn't take a long time for him to put people down. Like, you know, a lot of times these movies, like, it's like a video game. They escalate as the bosses escalate or whatever. No, he pretty much whacks people out in about a minute. Like, it doesn't take much for him to put people down. The showdown fight between him and Hasegawa, three-fourths of it is them posturing at each other. The actual fight is less than 30 seconds, which I I actually liked. I thought that was
1: impressive. I, I really enjoyed that, too. I mean... I'm 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 with you. I'm kind of tired of movies where this billionaire industrialist is also like a MMA fighter. Yeah, Vinarius Ven- does like a guy in a suit getting attacked by a ninja. Ought to die quickly and yes. without much fuss.
0: Yeah. Okay. What do you do, ninjas? And then, but I like it when the two super ninjas face off against each other, and well, okay, I'm going to credit a a George Lucas prequel film, so stand back. But when Count Dooku and Yoda go at each other, they only fight for about 40 seconds, but it was the most amazing 40 seconds of Attack of the Clones. And that's what I had a flashback or thought about when I was watching this. I was like, yes, this is exactly how this should go. These guys are super ninjas. They trade blow for blow, and Cole gets the best of him. And what he does is, like, they do that whole bit at the beginning where he has to do all those, you know, Semi, they're not gang signs, but they kind of look like it. Where he's like, you know, all the alphabets of the ninja or whatever, and that's how he catches the sword and flips it and turns the guy over and stabs him with it. I, I love the fact that that fight is not long.
1: Yeah, it, it, what it made me think of was actually uh, Seven Samurai. Because you don't see a lot of prolonged fights in that. You see, like, uh, the two guys in the the pond charging each other. They clash swords once. They do it again. And then a guy falls over dead. Because that's, you know, how it would probably go if you had Ninja fighting Ninja.
0: Exactly. Like, I, I think about all of the sword and swashbuckling movies I've seen growing up. And even the ones that came after this. and those fights always end up lasting forever. Like think of like, like, you know, Conan and red Sonya and all that. Like the, some of those swords fights with, if the guys were really going at each other with that amount of weight and power, you'd, they'd break the swords pretty fast and then end up just punching each other in the face. That's what I like here is that everything is as it probably would be if two ninjas went at each other.
1: Yeah. And, uh, apparently all the, uh, the stone did most of the choreography for it with shokasuge and that's probably where they both got their inspiration for the fights is that one of these guys is a a a long time martial artist and the other guy is a professional fighter and they both know this is how this usually goes let's not uh, let's do cool things but let's not you know belabor the point
0: yeah, and whether that was going or the budget or time or if, like you say, Stone and Kazuki said, "Look, this this shouldn't last long. It'll be better if he gets the you know if they knock each other's weapons away, he catches the blade, flips him over, and stabs him with it, and then they do the you 'you've won with honor, please let me die with honor,' and you know, cut my head off, and yes, I will do that."
1: And, and and I enjoyed that that touch at the end because. It wasn't personal. It was a business transaction. And you would think from the beginning that it would be uh, that you would see Hasegawa, you know, cheat. But he doesn't. Like, it's a straight ahead, fair fight, which is what Hasegawa has wanted the whole time.
0: Exactly. And he got it. Like, that's the thing is he he went up against the person he didn't think deserved to be there. And the guy won fair and squared. He's like, OK, please don't let me sit here and agonize to death. Cut my head off and let's end this. You you know and and he does and I I really really liked that resolve I thought it was fantastic.
1: Yeah, I really I really enjoyed that part too. I thought it was great. Um, the whole thing, of course, I think the whole thing is That's, great. But
0: yeah, so Cole leaves town, but promises to come back. Maybe wink to the audience, and he might get to kill Siegfried before he flies home, which is kind of a little funny sting at the end. I think I would have been all right if he just stood up. And after that fight, because he's taking his mask off and he's beheaded uh, Hasegawa, if he sees Marianne in the distance and they just nod at each other and then that's it. They just go their separate ways. I mean, that's what they do anyway. So I I don't know that I needed the little end comedy, but this movie is sort of a goof, so it ends on that. It's fine.
1: Yeah, it didn't uh, take away from the movie for me, but it just, you know, you're right. It probably would have been better that – Cole, with his mission accomplished, just disappeared into the sunset or what have you.
0: Right. As the white ninja, he just goes into the white heat of the Philippines.
1: <laughs> he just wa- he just <laughs> wanders into the jungle.
0: That's it. Yeah, because he won't stick out at all in that. But Anyway. Well, I think we're at the part of the podcast where it's time to get final thoughts on popcorn ratings. Ron, what are yours for Enter the Ninja?
1: Uh, I'm going to go with a large popcorn. Uh, my wife did not enjoy it as much as I did. Because uh, once again, <laughs> I, uh, I forced her to watch it with me. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I think it's great. I can, you can easily see just from watching it why this kicked off Ninja Frenzy, because it it is so different from the things that were going on at that time, and it's just early enough to jump ahead of the Japan fascination of the mid '80s that America had. It's got. At least one bona fide uh, martial arts star in Shokasuge. I think Mike Stone could have been a a star as well had he been born 10 years later or not sold all of his possessions and moved to the Philippines after making this movie. Um, (laughs) But yeah, it's, it's definitely entertaining in a cheesy 80s canon way with some surprisingly good legitimate fight scenes.
0: You know, I feel about this movie the way I felt about watching rewatching Invasion USA when we did it. There's a lot to it that's really good when you kind of rake away the the cheese, you know, of it. There's actually a decent little story here. It's pretty straightforward. It doesn't waste a ton of time. I mean, it could be about ten minutes shorter if they wanted to cut a few things. But honestly, I was never bored with it, and I think that. To me, like going into this, I'm not a ninja movie fan. I, you know, obviously I didn't grow up watching them or anything. My point of reference was a cartoon, for goodness sakes, built off of a toy line. So I had no, like, you know, reason to care about any of this. But I found myself hooked the whole time and legitimately was blown away by how real the fights were. I can't go enough about how neat it was to see fights that didn't last, you know, way too long. You know that they they got in, they got out, they did what they were supposed to do. It's that you know perfect Canon Films budgets. Before the thing is, is that I know what Canon Films reputation is is to do something way overblown, and I think that's what we're going to get in the sequels or semi sequels of the series or whatever. But this one is a really good little story. I definitely recommend people to check this out. If you haven't seen this one, this is you're going to see a lot of '80s action film tropes that you didn't know came from this and it's it should be well regarded this is a there's a reason this movie has a cult status for doubt i'm joining you in the large popcorn had an absolute blast and i cannot wait to see when we come back next week for return of the ninja because we're just bringing an actor back right there's no continuation
1: absolutely none
0: (laughs) so so this series is tied together but they and they're sequelized but they really have nothing to do with one another other than ninjas are in all of
1: them. yeah basically basically that's it (laughs)
0: That's awesome. That would be like if the second Jaws movie was about an alligator and the third one was about like a condor. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and The, th- the third was about Halloween masks that turned kids into snakes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> hey that one that one has its own place in cult fandom but <laughs> well folks thanks for joining us on ninja november ninja November. as uh, ron said the first episode you can always find episodes of our podcast continuousplaypodcast.com slash movies uh, give us a review on itunes or google play wherever you find the show we appreciate your support hook up with us on social media we always enjoy interacting with fans until next time for ron i'm jay This has been a podcast with honor about Enter the Ninja on Filmstrip. (laughs)
1: Thank
0: you for listening to Filmstrip. You can find more episodes on our website, continuousplaypodcast.com forward slash movies. Please leave us a positive review on iTunes and link up with us on Facebook. The Filmstrip theme music is produced and performed by Frozen Lake 121.